Do you believe in alternate universes? You are listening to Delayed Replay. The Improvised Movie Review Podcast. Wink. Everything is fine here. We're all fine. Just sit tight and listen to them talk about the movies they definitely saw. Don't delay. Don't delay. We have to listen right away. Hey everyone, this is Steven Schinder with a quick bit of news before the episode proper. So by the time this episode comes out, a podcast uh, I'm on will have launched. It is called Star Trek Culture. Basically me talking with Liana Ahmed about Star Trek. Uh, It'll be a weekly thing talking about new episodes. So it'll be Star Trek Discovery Season 3. So if you watch Discovery and you want to hear people talk about it, this is your place, Star Trek Culture. So yeah, subscribe to Star Trek Culture on Apple. You can also find the podcast at channel1138.com slash Star Trek Culture. And subscribe to Culture Slate on YouTube since they are providing the video of it. And you can also follow and like Culture Slate on Facebook. You can even find the Facebook videos going up on there. And yeah, the video will go up on YouTube about 3.15 Pacific on Fridays. And we'll try to get the audio on podcast feeds around the same time, same day. But yeah, Star Trek culture, it's really exciting if you're a Star Trek fan. It's a great time to be a Star Trek fan with all the new Trek that is coming out. All right, but enough of Star Trek for now. On to the Star Wars episode. Uh, You might hear overlapping voices again having that issue, but I tried to improve things where I could. You know, um, I used a backup recording of myself and inserted stuff here and there. I don't think it's too bad, like there's some stuff I couldn't fix completely, but overall I think the episode should be a good listen, so hopefully you enjoy it. Can of worms. Hello listeners, welcome to another exciting episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we usually talk about movies, but we've also talked about other stuff, like on this episode it's Another Star Wars novel, uh, it's The High Republic, A Test of Courage. And I'm your host, Stephen Schinder, as always. And joining me for this particular episode, you've heard him before, it is Chris Abbott, a.k.a. Star Raptor. How are you doing, bud? Hello, Stephen. I'm doing pretty well, considering that we are in the midst of this brand new Star Wars storytelling um, that's going on in the books and the comics. We talked about Light of the Jedi before broke that all down and here's our second entry into this awesome new look at the star wars universe so i'm ready to get into this one yeah so my this one came out like in early september um but like you know this this episode's coming out in october but it's fine i mean delayed is in the podcast title so you know (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't know this until like earlier today, but apparently today is International Podcast Day. Yeah, I see that. It's really cool how 
something called a podcast was something I didn't even know about until like maybe five years ago. So now so many people, including myself and you, have jumped on that that whole craze of let's do podcasts. And yeah, it's crazy how we're actually doing one on the day that they're everybody internationally is celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I think like five and a half years ago was when I started getting into podcasts because like I, I heard about like some Star Wars podcasts and I was like, that's how I got into it pretty much. So like, I guess you could say without Star Wars, maybe this podcast would even be a thing or i don't know maybe i would have discovered podcasts another way and who knows who knows who knows it's from doctor who <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh so before we uh discuss this novel uh there are like a couple corrections i want to go over so we talked about light of the jedi and i think on that episode there were moments where we got Stellan Geos mixed up with Eslar Man. And I was trying to think, like, wow, why did we confuse them? And I had to, like, look through the book again, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's because of that part where Eslar Man is, like, swinging his lightsaber in a mocking way and telling the other Jedi, look at me, I'm Stellan Geos, like, kind of, like, poking fun at him. So, kind of yeah, it was, it was an honest mistake, but we're we're happy that we're correcting it for you guys so because it was it was like wait a minute yeah that's not right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh this next correction it actually has to do with the star wars celebration episode i put out over the weekend so um there's a segment where mark was talking about how like harrison ford wasn't there and then later Ben was like, I think I heard that like Harrison Ford was there or something. And so like, you know, I went through it, I was editing and by the time I like finished editing and uploaded, it was like, I noticed a mistake after the fact and I was like, eh, oh, whatever, I'll just leave it in. It'll be like, it's an honest mistake, like, you know, memory from a certain point of view, because like, make it a Han shot first type of debate <laughs> or whatever. Cause, Cause like, yeah, I feel like over time, some of the celebrations kind of blend together, you know, do you ever get that? feeling? Oh yeah, I certainly do. You know, I was at the one at Chicago and then there at, again at Anaheim and yeah, I mean, it's like the days when you're at celebration, they just blend into one another. And then yeah, the subsequent trips to the other ones kind of blend in together over time because for me, at least like celebration is, it's kind of, I'm like in a, like a haze of passion, like celebrating Star Wars, and it's it can really bleed into each other pretty easily because it's like that excitement level just is, it goes to your brain after a while. Yeah, and I mean I kind of feel a bit more sympathetic or empathetic. I don't know which is correct uh, to like the Lucasfilm story group. How every once in a while they won't catch a mistake or contradictory thing or whatever. So. Um, I guess I got cut of them. Yeah, like, yeah. So, like, this is, like, a very Star Wars thing. It's, like, is it really Star Wars if you don't have a couple of conflicting sources every now and then? I mean, then? the universe is so darn big, and, and they just don't even settle for less. Like, it's constantly expanding. So, yeah, I mean, it's no matter how many people you have on the project, eventually something's going to get through, and it's just people got to realize that and, and don't go on 
Twitter and Facebook and, and cry about it because I mean it's just it's not going to get anywhere. It, it just it's inevitable, unfortunately. But that's just the way reality is. So just got to get over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's fine to like point out the inconsistencies, but like at, at some point it it can be a little overboard if you're like arguing over something like, oh, they said that they've never heard of, I don't know, apples, but in this other place they have heard of apples or something like that so i don't know there's just tiny things like that that don't really matter and it's just whatever i guess <laughs> yeah that is for sure that is for sure all right so this novel is a junior novel it's called a test of courage and this one's by justina ireland so chris what do you think of ireland's previous works in star wars yeah so ireland has been i would say probably the main person for the younger reader novels all ages books because she's done stuff um all over the timeline like her most recent one i think before this was spark of the rebellion which was a really neat book because it actually gave a spark of the there we go <laughs> rebellion or right <laughs> so yeah that book was cool because you actually got like some of the first adventures where we've seen finn right was finn in that book or you know it's, oh um, it was rose and it was ray correct yeah i think so yeah at least those three and bb8 yeah i think it was like those so that was characters. cool because it was the first time we get to see like those characters really interacting with each other because poe met ray at the end of the last jedi and this book came out right before the rise of skywalker with that that year gap in between so it was pretty neat seeing those interactions and then um the other book she did was that was that lando's luck yeah yeah it was part of the flight of the falcon multimedia yeah that was that was a lot of fun like I, i'll i'll like her books are like that quintessential like star wars a new hope feeling to me like they're they're not necessarily at dark at all but they're really good for like anybody can read these stories and, and kind of get like that cool Star Wars feeling because it's a, they're usually action packed. They have a couple jokes laced on through the story, but it's nothing, nothing super complex as you could expect for the age range. But all in all, they're usually pretty fun books to read through. They're usually pretty quick and uh, I've enjoyed what she's wrote so far. Yeah, I definitely get what you mean about the whole A New Hope vibe. It's, like, more adventurous, lighthearted, not as dark as, like, Emperor Strikes Back or something yeah. like that. So, I think I was underwhelmed by Lando's luck, if I recall correctly. But I did really enjoy Spark of the Resistance and how, like, you know, you got those characters on a mission together and I, they encounter, like, this... Um, rabbit like race called the vixens and they reminded me of yeah. jackson which i was like really into that i thought that was a fun <laughs> book. yeah that was that was that was something cool to see like right before we got to see the movie so yeah and i feel like junior novels like some people kind of well i don't know like mm -hmm. what portion of the fan base is like this but i kind of feel like some people are a little bit yeah definitely of definitely them. But, like, really, I think, like, the first, like, expanded universe uh, 
things that I ever read for Star Wars. Like, first was Boba Fett, The Fight hmm. to Survive. And I think that was a junior novel, and it follows Boba Fett during the and a little after the events of Attack really? of the Clones. And it really showed me, like, a new perspective. I was like, whoa, there's more than what's just on the screen. And then after that, I checked out the young jedi knights series which i think are also junior novels and i really liked them and like you know getting to know the solo twins and their friends like i, I really enjoyed it yeah so the first junior books i mean i might have read legends but the first canonical ones i read were i was at my my job i work retail and, and they had like this really nice stand of star wars books right before the force awakens came out you know they had that whole journey to the force awakens and they had three different young adult young reader novels they had the solo one um they had the moving target which i still really enjoy and they also had the weapon of a jedi and they're really cool books they were just really short but really quick and to the point and they explored like each one of the the big three if you will from uh the original star wars trilogy and I, I, I mean, there's been plenty of books that have come out since, but I still think those those first three are some of the best ones you got. Did, did you read any of those? Yeah, I remember Moving Target was yeah. my favorite. The, the uh-huh. Leia one where they capture the the shuttle Tidarium. Yeah, that's how, it. Actually, explains how they got that in Return of the Jedi. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, I really loved that one, and then. My second favorite of those three after that was Smuggler's Run, mm-hmm. the Han and Chewie one. Uh, it was very straightforward. It was fun, adventurous. And then after that, I I thought that uh-huh. Weapon of the Jedi was okay. I did like that Luke had both 3PO and R2 with him. And like the fight yeah. Sarko Plank was oh, interesting, it was so cool. but like they never like back. sarco plank after i read that book immediately like jumped up in like one of my favorite like minor characters in star wars like just like his whole design yeah. is like he had these like tendril like appendages that were just like coursing like through his body like underneath his clothing and he had this really cool ass like electric um staff thing and he and, and luke was like practicing against the remotes and then luke actually was traveling on one of those giant um, hippo-looking things for the Force Awakens through the jungle. That was odd. <laughs> I... Yeah, it, it was kind of weird how, like, Sarko Plank seemed like he'd be more important than yeah. he ended up being. Because, like, he only appears for, like, a second. Yeah, like, Force I thought Awakens. they were building him up to be a much bigger character. Like, to have something to do, like, post-sequel trilogy. And, well... I mean, nothing's saying he's dead or anything, so maybe they will have another story with the guy eventually. But it was it was cool to see Luke yeah. going up against somebody. And this was before the events of even Empire Strikes Back. So, you know, during that classic Star Wars flagship uh, comic series run where he, he doesn't even know what to do. He hasn't met Yoda yet. So, like, his, his fighting ability is yeah. so subpar for what he should be as a Jedi. Yeah, it's sometime between heir to the jedi and the jason aaron star wars series so yeah yeah i, I, I hope that they give jason but... fry another crack at doing an original star wars story because he did a great job with the last jedi novelization but like ever since that like i think he he wrote the um 
the smuggler's guide or whatever it was like the solo tie-in like uh book that is more of like an in-universe book that mentions dash rendar in there somehow without actually saying it is was that um yes that was the book like there's one page that mentions dash like as one of the ships that's trying to find solo or something and then there's another page that says rendar as if it's another person but it's like okay they put it in there like dash rendar is the same person obviously but no one wants to admit it Yeah, I mean, in The Mandalorian, I kind of thought that it, that would be Dash Rendar in the cantina, but it was a new character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to get him eventually. Eventually, somebody's going to bring him into canon, and it's going to be glorious for me and all the Shadows of the Empire fans out there. Yeah, I mean, his ship, the Outrider, is in A New Hope. Yeah, the good old YT-2400. One of my favorite ships in Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I didn't really like Dash Rendar in Shadows of the Empire, the, uh-huh. the novel that is. Like, that's the only, like, in terms of Shadows of the Empire, I've only experienced the novel uh-huh. and the soundtrack. But I really liked Dash Rendar in that other book, Shadow Games. Like, I really enjoyed that one. Wait, there's the another book that has Dash Rendar in it? Yeah, it's called. All right, I'm gonna Shadow have to pick Games. that one up now. <laughs> that might break yeah. my rule to read Legends again since Canon has been out. But I've the only other Legends book I've read since Canon started again was um, Shadows of the Empire. I reread that. It was like, okay, there's so much Canon stuff coming out, like we're gonna talk tonight about tonight, that it's hard for me to go back to anything Legends because I, I feel like I'm constantly reading a Canon book as it is, you know. Yeah, with Shadows of the Empire, there are, like, things that I liked and things that I didn't like. And, like, Prince Shizor was one of the things I disliked because of how gross he is yeah. the way up. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, yeah, that didn't age well. But, um, yeah, I, I, I love the oh. soundtrack, though. It sounds like it gets the blood pumping. It enhances the experience of reading the thing. It's yeah, really cool. and then they had the whole toy line that went along with it, which I was obsessed with. I had that. I went to a Goodwill store with my dad, and there was an IG-88 there, and I'm like, I need that figure. And I and I still have it somewhere, but it had the cool, <laughs> it had the cool packaging. And I remember they had the, the Chewbacca in disguise where he had like the, the flat top shaved head. <laughs> it was like... You had the Luke Skywalker in disguise with the red Zizor armor. Oh, man, there were just some epic action figures in that line. And then the comic book. You should check out the comic book. It's basically more about Boba Fett. And he is essentially just, like, trying to outrun all the bounty hunters, like Forlom and Zuckus and Bosk and Dengar, and they're all coming after him. And it's like these... There's some epic fight scenes in that. And there, there actually was some epic fight scenes in the bounty hunters, some cool... Byler and Valence versus Boba Fett fight action in that one. So that I can recommend. Yeah, the Bounty Hunters series, I've been kind of meh about. Um, like, it's kind of hard for me to be interested in that one. But I am curious to see, like, what more happens with, like, the Bounty Hunter characters and whatnot, just in Star Wars in general. Because I feel like that's an interesting part of the galaxy. And mm-hmm. I love that the Mandalorian is exploring that. Like, there's so many facets to Star Wars. Are yeah, the exploring. underworld, a.k.a. like the, cr- the crime, and that includes bounty hunters. Not not the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you got to clarify that because, you know. But, 
Yeah, that that stuff is some of my favorite <laughs> in Star Wars. That that kind of is one of those things that drew me in. Jabba the Hutt and all those guys were just so mysterious, and how they can have a grip on the galaxy even underneath the boot of the Empire is just always something that's interested me. Yeah, like it's very much planted from the beginning, and like most icily of Regidive of Scotland, uh-huh. and it's like that's like part of the core of Star Wars, like. I think we're used to just thinking of, like, Jedi versus Sith, but, like, the Underworld is a huge, 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 huge facet of Star Wars. I don't know why I said huge so many times, I guess, for emphasis, but, you know. Three times, I think, is good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of Star Wars, this book is part of it. So, yeah, we're (laughs) getting back to that book. Um, (laughs) So, Test of Courage, uh, this takes place, like, during light of the jedi it seems like from what i remember like they're kind of vague about it within the story but that's kind of the vibe that i got and as we'll like explain later and um so it begins in port hail heap which is a spaceport slash outpost and you've got vernestra Rowe, who's this 15 year old mary allen uh who just became a jedi knight and this got me thinking, like, do Jedi often become knights at this age? Or is this, like, something new? Definitely something new. It's uh, quoted somewhere that that is literally the, the youngest Jedi knight ever to reach that rank of Jedi knight. Like, it's, it's an unseen precedent in the Jedi Order for somebody to be of that stature that quickly. And it's... And it's um, I, you know, what what did you think about about the reasoning for her to actually ascend to that rank so quickly? Yeah, I guess they kind of gloss over that Vernestra is kind of a prodigy because, like, her character, like, she's not very prideful, which is interesting to see with someone at that age who has made this achievement. But, you know, they talk about how Vernestra just loved learning, like, there's like this flashback to when she's like constructing her lightsaber and Hu Yang is there. It was great to have him there and how like she was like the most attentive youngling student there while the others would like be kind of noisy and whatnot. And I kind of liked seeing that, how she legitimately wants to know how this lightsaber is constructed and how to like hear the crystal and whatnot. And it kind of helps to like, relate her to uh, this younger character who's kind of her friend, Avon Staros, who's like an aspiring inventor, uh, tries to see like a droid crystal to see what she can do with it. But uh, yeah, like what was your reaction when we found out there would be a Staros character? I think that was such a cool idea because we always think about the legacy of Star Wars really dealing with Skywalkers and with Force-sensitive characters in general, aka, you know, Ray Palpatine and all that sort of thing. So it it was like, (laughs) oh, good, you know, there's not just Force-sensitive legacy in Star Wars. We could have just the average Joe, or in this case, a pretty cool, brilliant... um, daughter of a politician that's really good with fixing things engineering wise which is sweet to have that kind of uh, diversity in professions and w- with gender and all that kind of thing and in uh, the higher public so i think that's that's already setting a great precedent for you know what can be included in these stories really the sky is the limit 
And we also know that the Santecas are also involved with the higher public. So we got that kind of connection too to another family. So legacy is important to Star Wars. And this this adds to the world building. It really adds to the world building knowing that, yes, any one of these characters that you know from our original Star Wars timeline could actually have ancestors going back to the higher public. That really somehow adds to the characters that we know in the original trilogy era. So I think it's a brilliant idea to really bring that that sense of, oh, I know who that is, especially if you read the comics. Not everybody's going to pick up on Star Wars being somebody already in Star Wars, but you know, you mean a lot of people read those comics and are going to be like, oh, yeah, she's a she's an ancestor of Sanastaros, who was the person that fooled everybody thinking that she was the, the wife of Han Solo back in 2015. <laughs> yeah that made like the headlines that lots of people were mad before they got the well it took them like five months to actually so... get to the explanation yeah <laughs> but um yeah like i like that they're going very niche with like the ancestry like i think we got some of that in legends but it's nice that we're getting that here too and it's like i never would have expected we'd get more about sana staros's lineage and like, ever since The Force Awakens, I've been wanting to know more about Lore Senteca and his connection to, like, Luke and Leia, especially, like, maybe in the original trilogy era or right after Return of the Jedi. But we're getting more about his ancestors before we learn more about him in that time period, yeah. which is bizarre. Yeah, I think um, Dominic Jones with a Star Wars Underworld. He was, he was one of the frontrunners for people that was, like... We're gonna get so many stories with Lor Santec after after he watched The Force Awakens. We're yeah. gonna get so many stories about this guy. And it's like five years later, the only story that I really recall is some little level in Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens, which supposedly this is canon where he's landing on Jakku before the events of the Force Awakens, and he comes across this bounty hunter named Athgar Hess or something like that. And he's a dude with a jetpack that you can see, like Sarko, uh, like um, Sarko Plank in the back background of Uncar Plutz plays. <laughs> so there's that story, and then there's a. I think it's a really cool. Well, actually, there's three stories. There's another story that has Lor Senteca teaming up with Poe Dameron in the later comics books uh, storyline. There, where they go to um, Cato Nemoidia, and it's really cool because it links into the Force Awakens pretty nicely that late in the timeline there in that comic series and there's also Lor Senteca and this is the coolest one where he's teaming up with Luke Skywalker and Ben Solo at the time to go against the the Knights of Ren that was that was awesome and that's it yeah come to think of it like both of those comic stories were Charles Soule stories so I wonder if like he's like the only one who's allowed to write about that is interesting um, I did not put those pieces together until he just said yeah, it. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I like just thought of that. Um, and yeah, like the Lego Star Wars stuff is kind of weird because like they tried to be authentic to the era. And so it's like even though the Lego aspect itself isn't really canon, you can imagine some of the events taking place in a canonical way. Yeah, there was this really cool level where you play as Kylo Ren and you just go to this slum. I don't know if it was an Athorian homeworld or it was the other species that look almost exactly like Athorians that were brought in into The Force Awakens. But you go into this place and I know it's probably bad to say this, but you just go massacring all these like people on this planet. 
but I, I, I was like, as the first order, it was just kind of fun to play through it. I, it makes me sound like a terrible person, like, oh, I'm committing genocide. This is awesome. But it's just like the gameplay was so fun. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Well, I mean, it's Lego, so like they can just put themselves back together, I guess. So it's not True. as bad. Right. So Avon Staros is like 11 or 12, maybe 11 going on 12, if I remember correctly. And like her mother is a politician named uh, Gira Staros or Jira Staros. I'm not sure what the pronunciation is, but yeah, they want her on this like diplomatic mission to meet with uh, a Dalnin ambassador because like that ambassador has a son who's 12 so like around her age and like the reasoning is that like oh maybe they can be friends and like the ambassador will see like a lighter side of the republic so that the dolmens can like join or whatever uh that was kind of a weird aspect in my opinion but you know definitely was strange for me as well yeah and avon also has this protocol droid named j6 this is really our first up in front droid in the high republic if, you know i don't think uh there's any kind of big prominent droids in the higher public uh, in the higher republic land of the jedi by charles so i mean they were mentioned in the background but we didn't have a character and usually it's it's kind of any story in star wars you, you usually have a droid it's the, the big thing like every every author every writer tries to include some kind of unique droid that uh hasn't been really uh, focused on before so it's always like okay what, which droid are we getting in this story not only is it going to be a physical difference but they always have some kind of attitude or some kind of quirk that makes their personality matrix a little bit different so this was interesting because this droid j6 was more of like a nanny type droid at one point in the hangar bay she's running around and and the droid is just like beckoning her to it so it was an interesting kind of uh relationship that they had for sure and uh you know I, i'm looking forward to, to seeing more of their adventures because i think there's a lot of possibility for for where they could go from there but it yeah that's what it was like oh this is basically like a nanny droid <laughs> yeah with j6 it's like you know the droids are also a big part of star wars and so i feel like j6 kind of is kind of sassy in some parts so like i feel like she is kind of she kind of skews close to like l3 or k2 or chopper in that regard which is or ap5 even so i i just really love when like the droids are sassy it's like uh, i don't know i just love their attitude it gives them relatability in a way so there's jedi master douglas sunvale who's the marshal of the outpost I was kind of surprised to see a normal Earth sounding name like Douglas, but then you get Sunvale, which is kind of like Sunrider or Skywalker or Far. Yeah, or it definitely like gave me very much like a World of Warcraft Blood Elf type of surname vibe from that. So I was like, oh, we're crossing the streams a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, I think it reminded me of buffy because like she lives in sunny Dale, and so that sounds very <laughs> but yeah similar. i think it's it's cool because the higher public has been giving us some of the greatest names in star wars i mean loading great storm is still like probably in the top five most epic star wars names so and they also have 
this Padawan, a human boy named Emery, who's like with them on this little mission. And so they're boarding the the cruiser, which is called the Steady Wing. And like as they're boarding, Vernestra like notices this aqualish mechanic uh, who's like tinkering and whatnot. And he has like a missing lower right eye. So like, I mean, not everyone with a disfigurement is like a bad person, but in this moment, we kind of wondered if like he might be kind of sketchy because of like the f- the feeling that like Vernestra had like this. Yeah, how many eyes do Oculus usually have? Four, right? Or is it six? Yeah, I think it's four, but let me double check. I mean, I don't know. Like when you have four eyes and you're missing one yeah, eye. Yeah, four. How much of a disability is that since you still have three eyes, which is still better than humans? Okay, I'm seeing a picture of one with four eyes and one with two eyes. So I kind of wonder if maybe it varies in their species. So, (laughs) that's weird. This interesting character definitely appeared really shady. I mean, he was fixing a ship and I almost was like, oh, no. Did he tamper with the ship? Did he... Did he like do something like Sebulba from the Phantom Menace and he like tugged something loose so that they're going to have problems later on? You know, did you get the idea of like something like he's tampering with the ship? Yeah, I mean, it felt like that was the very obvious thing. So I wasn't sure if they were going to subvert expectations. But like, you know, the bombs on the ship go off on their way to Starlight Beacon. And so, um, and, you know, Starlight Beacon is able to change its location around the galaxy. So they knew where to go and where it is. But, yeah, like, when the bombs went off and, like, we later find out that, yeah, this Aqualish fellow is actually one of the Nile. They're, like, all around the galaxy trying to cause chaos in different ways. And it's like, yeah, that was kind of obvious. But generally, everybody should read Light of the Jedi first, even though these books are coming out like kind of like on top of each other, like within a couple weeks of each other. It's that's the book you want to start with because it introduces the Nile. It introduces Starlight Beacon. So you're going to have a better understanding. Not saying you need to read those, but it was cool because like we were talking about um, the, the other podcast about Light of the Jedi and about what we thought about the, the Nile. And now we're jumping into the story and we're already getting a, a Nile in the stories like from the get go pretty much. So having learned what we knew from light of the jedi and it's like oh okay the nile is going to be really front and center in the story from the get-go which is interesting yeah so our band of characters they get in an escape vessel and so it's like pretty much just the kids and like the droid like you know douglas sunvale is like not with them so they're like separated and so like, they're kind of on their own, and they, like, crash land on this jungle moon, which turns out to be a Jan Kloss from... Yeah, so, I mean, that's cool, because it's still in recent memory for a lot of us. The la- You know, Rise of Skywalker came out in uh, at the end of last year, so it's still in our thoughts. And this was the same planet that we knew that Luke was training Leia way back, like like, within the first year after the Battle of Endor... It is known from the novelization that they went there and they trained because any kind of planet that has a lot of life is verdant um, and is verdant is filled with the force. Like it's a very strong planet for force users. So 
instantly Vernestra was kind of overwhelmed with this like sensation of, wow, I've never felt this kind of power coursing through me. This is amazing. Yeah, and I really like that they brought this world, like this moon back, uh, this jungle moon, because like, I felt like it was kind of weird that they went with a new place rather than use something like Batu, which was like front and center in like the Galaxy's Edge marketing. So it's nice that we're this isn't just a one and done moon, you know, like they're utilizing it in other projects and, you know, hearing about how it's like it's somewhat strong in the forest. You know, it kind of reminds me of how like when Yoda discovered Dagobah, he noticed that that world was strong in the forest, I guess, because of, like, all the nature and whatnot, all the life, and, you know, the forces in, like, all life. So I thought this was a good move using this. As right, yeah, it's uh, it's always nice to go to a plant that isn't Tatooine. As much as I love Tatooine, and I still <laughs> love seeing it, and it won't get old, but it's cool to pull a planet that's only been in something once. Be like, ah, yes, you know. Yeah, so it was great. Um, like, they're kind of on their own and they're like really scared, which I guess ties into like this episode coming out in October. So, you know, courage, scariness or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> courage, the cowardly dog. I was more of a Nickelodeon guy back in the 90s. Um, but yeah, I've watched an episode or two when I was at a friend's house and it was very weird with the with the grandparents in the shack or whoever yeah. those people were it's just strange yeah that i i don't think they were grandparents but they were like an elderly couple and yeah that show was weird and i watched it but i got really tired of courage screaming all the time and i'm kind of surprised that it never had a crossover with this other cartoon network show called the grim adventures of billy and mandy it's like you got these two spooky shows and they like never have a crossover. Did a lot of shows do crossovers back then? I feel like that's more of like a recent thing. So in the 2000s, I remember Cartoon Network had had this thing called Cartoon Network Invasion. So there's kind of like this, um, I guess it was more like a cross through type of event, kind of like okay. Vector from the Dark Horse Star Wars comics. So like you had like these alien related stuff popping up in well, i think foster's home for imaginary friends first and then ed ed and eddie and then um also i think my gym partner's a monkey and then camp laszlo and then what was it grim adventures of billy and mandy i think and i remember that show also had a crossover with Codename Kids Next Door, like hmm. around the same time period. I think. Yeah. Okay. That's that's interesting. Yeah, that was really cool. I really dug it. But anyway, I came back to a test of courage. Um, so yeah, they're trying to navigate through the jungle, and Venestra and um, Avon have an argument mm -hmm. about like which way they should go. Like Avon, kind of like. Uh, tries to talk down to Vanessa being like, you always act like you know everything. Well, maybe you should listen to someone who's actually invented useful things. And like this kind of feels a little juvenile, but I thought it felt believable. Yeah, because like, they the are familiar with each other. This is not like out. the first time they've hung out. Um, they've been around each other's company for a while. 
So it very much is like that that older sister, younger sister vibe is what I was getting from the interactions between those both characters. So it definitely added something different, right? Like a, a lot of the Star Wars books I've read, I don't know if any of them have had like an older sister, younger sister relationship like this from anything. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely not explored as much in canon, at least from what I've read. But um, yeah, and Emery mm-hmm. is like feeling awkward, not sure if he should like get in the middle of them and their argument. And J6 is kind of enjoying seeing <laughs> them argue, which is kind of weird. But yeah, I guess J6. Yeah, so they're they're trekking along the path there. And of course, the first thing that uh, Emery says is, "I'm hungry," and it's within five. It's within like five minutes of the, yeah. of the ship crashing to the to the moon there. So, of course, it's going to be him that discovers. Hey, there's fruit up on that tree, and somebody's got to climb up there to get it. So, <laughs> it's it, the fruit is like this green. It's 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 almost like an, an apple, but it's but it's more yellow in color. So um, he, he climbs up to, he, he starts climbing up this large branch to get up there. And of course he gets up there and we meet our, our, um, our species of, of creature that oddly enough, wasn't even in rise of Skywalker, but I mean, agent Claus is a giant moon. So you're not going to see everything in the 10 minutes that they were there. But this big feline ape thing is like, he, right. it's basically like like stalking them because it's like right above Imri as he goes to grab this this fruit which i'm not even sure i, I forget the name of the fruit the yellow apple thing <laughs> but as he goes to grab this fruit he feels like some kind of liquid hit the back of his neck and he looks up and he just sees the snarling teeth of this feline ape thing and he just screams and he jumps. He, he loses his grip and he falls off the branch. But luckily, we have a Jedi in the midst. And Vernestra Rose is able to actually use the force to like softly quiet his landing on the on the ground. And then the chase begins. And it's like all hell breaks loose. This thing is incredibly adept as it should be since it's this is its natural habitat. Uh, scaling through the, the trees and follows this the young adventurers as they're running away so right off the bat we're, we're getting an action here and it's it's heating up real quick because they're running through this moon that they don't even know what direction they want to go in to even get safety because they need to get off this moon asap yeah it reminded me of that chase sequence in disney's tarzan movie i don't know if you've ever seen that one but they're the first movie i ever saw in the theater um yeah so like uh, this is a little backstory, but uh, my bro- my older brother and my dad had gone to see The Phantom Menace that day, I think. Because, like, my mom didn't want them to take me because she thought How old I were you? scared, I guess, because of, like, Darth Maul or whatever. I was, um, let's see, this was 99, so I would have been four and a half, I think. Yeah, that's quite too young. Yeah, I mean, I eventually got to see the 3D release in 2012. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, so yeah, I think when they got back from that screening, uh, all four of us went to see Tarzan, and that was, like, my first theatrical movie experience, which was pretty cool. And I've since then, like, 
like we got the VHS tape of that when that came out and I just love the Phil Collins soundtrack. It might be my favorite Disney animated movie soundtrack, like just beating the Lion King by a tiny bit in terms of the soundtrack, just because I don't care too much about Hakuna Matata. So it's, it's pretty close. But yeah, I yeah, don't know. I, I kind of get love that movie. anything uh, Tarzan confused with George of the Jungle. I think that was also Disney live action. And <laughs> And I remember the scene where they're yeah, in like the canoe might, going through the Amazon River, and there's these piranhas that start getting onto somebody's hand, or so. I, I don't know. I digress. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, it was distributed by. <laughs> it was produced by Disney, so yeah, yeah. Getting back to the chase, like the whole whole thing is, it reminded me of like when these. Um, I think there were monkeys were like chasing Jane in that Tarzan movie. But anyway, so uh, yeah, these kids and the droid are being chased by the feline ape thing. And they eventually, like, like they're able to like outrun it to like get a good distance ahead of it. But they end up stepping in quicksand, which like halts them for a moment. And it's like, like, even though, you know, this is a junior novel, they'll probably, like, make it out. Like, they still, like, Justina Ireland still managed to capture the suspense of this moment. Like yes, because you have the limited time, the but situation. the way she's able to explain about how they're slowly sinking through this material and how there's really seemingly no way out of this situation. It kind of reminded me of that scene in Rise of The sinking sand, yep. Like, sinking and, yeah... <laughs> At one point, Emery was like, oh, I don't like quicksand. It's everywhere in this jungle. And I, I feel like that's mm -hmm. probably a nod to the, like, yeah. glorious Anakin. Yeah, so like the way sand. they get out of there is, <laughs> luckily, through the the young engineer um, of the Staros, she's able to retract this cylinder device that almost resembled, like, a lightsaber at first. I was like, oh, wow, she have a lightsaber? But no, it turns out to be like this extremely like re like long retractable like claw like device, which she's able to like shoot up at like one of the like branches and 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 somehow like able to like it has like a motor where it actually like retracts and like pulls her up with everybody else. Everybody grabs onto her because they're close enough, and she's able to pull them all up into the tree. Yeah, and I remember the chapter ended with like saying that Avon took out a device and like the last sentence was it looked like a lightsaber but then the beginning of the next chapter you get more description it's like oh it's not a lightsaber so that was like a little bait and well that's i mean that's what what's good reading, about the islands writing is that she is able to keep up the suspense so you do want to keep reading the next chapter and that's why these books are so great for kids because it, it, it keeps you engaged. It keeps the story moving forward. There's not a whole lot of downtime at all in the story. Most of the um, exposition is actually done like on the run, like little little hints of things here and there. Yeah, so they're able to get out of the quicksand and they continue running until they find this cave. Yeah, so to, like, keep of course, for of night. course, Imri is still hungry. And I mean that's that's like the the theme throughout this whole story. Yes. <laughs> is, is he ever gonna be satisfied? But no, they we do have Vanestra Rowe, you know, coming from the Jedi Temple. 
they always have to be prepared. They don't know in what situation they might be marooned or stranded. So they always have some kind of food on their on their persons at any given time. She's got her mission outfit on. She's got her little pouches and whatnot to store different things. So she luckily has um, this kind of, uh, they describe it like a puffer pork bacon roll. So she's able to kind of materialize this from her from her pouch yeah. and then they they do find a way they make a, a fire and they're cooking this and it's you know it's funny because puffer pig is basically like their pork of the galaxy so it's a savory kind of um cylinder type of uh pork um you know it, it almost reminded me of like a pork roll from from uh i'm from new jersey here and it's like one of those foods that like you don't hear about pork roll anywhere else in, in the country or the world unless you're in New Jersey itself. And it's like, it was like, oh man, does uh, Justin Island, has she ever been to like my hometown? And she just threw this in there for all the New Jersey people like, oh, I know what she's talking about. So I got a huge kick out of that, especially because it's a puffer pig, which um, <laughs> I just happen to like, I'm obsessed with those creatures or they're, they're hilarious and rebels when they're introduced. Yeah, and like we also heard of puffer pig bacon and resistance. So it's really neat that they were able to like tie that into this. But yeah, I do wonder like about Justina Ireland. Like maybe her real name is Justina New Jersey or something. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so yeah, they um they make a little fire and like heat up the puffer pork bacon roll things and emory is like thanking yeah. them a lot because like he's like so desperate and hungry and it's like super relatable because like i get hungry like reading and watching things that mention food you know i don't know if you're the same way that yeah I'll, the ipc the podcast way. and uh every time they do their hashtag <laughs> bbq watch I'm like, oh, I wish I lived in Texas right now because we do not have good barbecue over here in New Jersey. Yeah, like, okay, so during the, like, 300th episode of IPC, I, like, made my own meal that was, like, beyond meat with, like, some chili beans or, like, nacho chili or whatever it was so that I wouldn't be super <laughs> yeah. hungry when we get to, like, barbecue watch. And... <laughs> And more recently, um, I had Zach on this podcast for the Bob's Burgers, the movie episode, which uh, will be out by the time this episode comes out, but hasn't been released yet as of like today. But um, yeah, I had to get like two burgers that day so that I I wouldn't be like super <laughs> hungry talking about burgers the whole podcast episode. Now, like Zach had also gotten like a couple burgers beforehand oh, as great. well. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was it was good that we actually see Emery finally satisfied, and this is the point of the story where it kind of slows down. I mean, I mean, there has to be a point in the story where it's like, okay, they have to catch their breath. They have to rest a little bit because they've just been chased around this unknown plant, this unknown moon by these giant feline ape creatures. And they're almost buried alive in this quicksand and they get out. And this is a time where they're like, OK, we got to come up with a game plan. We have to get a signal out to the Jedi Order or anybody really that's even passing by in this uh, this sector of space or the system. Um 
So that is their objective. They're explaining what they need to do. They're not even sure if there's any other sentient creatures even on this on this moon at this point. So that is that is where things start to slow down. They get into the, you know, Imri starts explaining about how his backstory is, and that's where a lot of the exposition really happens in his story. I keep forgetting to mention that like the Dalnan ambassador's son is with them too, and so he's kind of um, he's he's like really scared and not sure what to do. Like he's very much outside of his own element, so. They keep trying to have to calm him down so that he's not like super loud and doesn't attract too much of the wildlife. So I like that there's that angle, like they have to like work together. And I really like when um, Vanestra like has like this moment with um, Avon where she's like, where like they basically apologize to each other and Vernestra thanks Avon for like, uh, saving the, them with like the device to get them out of the quicksand. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I thought that was a really yeah, that definitely that, that definitely added to the characters. I, I like that little moment. Um, but basically, they they do go to sleep and they wake up the next day, and it's and they haven't really been able to get much relief. And, and besides the hunger that's been bothering them, it's also worth mentioning that this this planet has an extremely temperate uh, climate, even in the rise of Skywalker, like, you know, through the visual dictionary and whatnot, they explain that, man, that planet is really hot. And so already, like, it's like the second day. And because they don't have like air conditioning or any kind of thing like that, they're already starting to feel extremely sluggish and exhausted. And that's not helping things because they still don't have any leadway on how to heck to get off this planet. And now that's just another problem they have to deal with. Yeah, and they wander for quite a while. Like, they're kind of vague about how long they've been there, and they even mention, like, they've lost track of time, and they're just trying to survive the best they can. But there comes a point where Vernestra has, like, a vision of, like, the Jedi who we saw in Light of the Jedi, like, confronting the Nile on the forest moon of Endor. And so that's kind of when... I guess, like, she gets more of a glimpse of, like, who the Nile are, and, like, she wonders if there are, like, Nile nearby, and surely enough, like, there are, like, there's the Aqualish, and there's a few others, and they're trying to, like, like, apparently they've been watching from afar, and they've seen how good of an inventor um, Avon is, and they want to, like, use her to try to make a device that can block the force, if that's even possible. Because they've been in communication with the other Nile, and they're like, "Oh, the Jedi are a problem." So, like, if we have a way to like, make yeah, it's like cool that, having these benefit. villains. Again, I said the same thing in our Light of the Jedi review about having these villains and these antagonists that actually don't go to toe to toe with the Jedi as you would expect. They're they're not also wielding lightsabers. They are just using some really sophisticated technology to be able to to like negate the usefulness of the Jedi. So that is alarming. You know, what scares a Jedi? Well, what can scare a Jedi is when they cannot really be effective against somebody with their force abilities. Yeah. So they try to like confront the kids and like try to like kidnap Avon. But this is where like J6 really gets to shine by like emulating the noises of like the feline ape things through like, you know, the 
like J6's mouthpiece sort of thing. Kind of like when C3 I always thought that was so weird in Return of the Jedi. That story to how he's making those noises. Like, wait, what's going on in this scene? It always rubs me the wrong way almost. Like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, so the Nile are caught off guard. They look around seeing if there's like any predators nearby. And so that gives uh, these Padawans a chance to like, force push them away and like get their weapons and so like now they have the upper hand or the high ground if you will and so uh they get away and they try to like find like their base of operations so that they can like get the signal yeah out, so like, other jedi to like look it, for it, them. it's definitely a plan that is probably gonna work but it's just a matter of the execution which is the tough part yeah because you know they're still kind of not sure which direction to go and they still have to be wary of the wildlife and other possible nile so they're trying to be as stealthy as they can but then there comes a point where every <laughs> stomach growls like super loud to the, point where, like, <laughs> the nile like find them again and it it, it just reminds me of those embarrassing moments when like in school I would be hungry and my stomach would be growling when it's like very silent in the classroom and I'd be like super Yeah, it definitely so, was, that uh, was a very relatable moment. Like I, I could see that happening in something like this. It's like so it was like a comedic moment, but it also has a lot of peril that's involved for the for the heroes in the story. Yeah. So once again, they go toe to toe with the Nile, but since they have like some of their weapons, they're able to use them against them. And I thought that was really cool how they were able to like turn their own. Yeah, I mean, this is where we get to really see why Vernestero was given the rank of Jedi Knight at such an early age. Because even from when I read that first expert from the book uh, explaining how Vernestero in the hangar bay was able to use the force to like levitate something. I was like, wow, she's really strong. And yeah, it's showcased here. She's able to do these pirouettes around these vibro swords and different things that the, the Nile are using. She's able to direct their weapons back at them. You know, um, it's it's quite impressive. And, and I would have loved to see something like this, like either on the page or in animation or something like that, because I think Justine Ireland definitely... Um, has a good knack for this sort of snappy, quick uh, action in these scenes. Yeah, in my head, I imagined it looks similar to like when Shock T's fighting oh, the yeah. in the Clone Wars micro series. Like that was such a cool scene, the way it was animated and like the sound effects. Like it would just be cool to like. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was something that uh, live action. Or definitely like was one of the best parts of the book for me. I'll be honest with you. I just love anytime we get to see Jedi in action. Especially against these different kind of opponents, um, I'm a big fan of like vibro swords too. So it's like, yeah, we get some some enemies with those as well. Yeah. <laughs> so they're able to like subdue their opponents, and they make it to the the Nile's like base of operations. And Avon, being the tech prodigy that she is, is able to like hack into their computer and be able to like send out a coded signal to like any nearby Jedi or allies who might be able to help them. And, but, but like after she sends the signal, like the Nile notice their presence. And so it's very like, 
like they barely very rarely moments where they get to rest against like the Nile. Like it's just conflict after yeah, conflict. Yeah, like it's, I said, like, this, this is this is one of the most like, action packed books I've read yet. And for it to be set in the higher public, it just shows you like the types of storytelling that can be done in just select era of Star Wars because Light of the Jedi was very much like a disaster movie type of book. Whereas this is just like your tip, like not, I, w- I don't want to say typical as if it's like a generic thing, but like this is your quintessential kind of Star Wars, A New Hope action. We're, we're on the run. We got to go. We got to do this. We got to go here. We got to go there. Or like running, you know, our plan is like the seat of our pants, like just going somewhere. Yeah. Like Light of the Jedi was more large scale, like going from planet to planet, dealing with like the galaxy wide conflict or the beginning of it anyway. And this one is like a more isolated perspective. You know, they're dropped right into the middle of this thing and they're discovering it as they go along. Like, it kind of reminds me of Predators, you know, that movie. And like, I really dug that whole vibe and how, like, it it is just a nice perspective to have, especially for these young characters. Like, how would they feel about this type of thing that's going on? And how they try to overcome it. And this was like really cheesy, but there was a moment where uh, Vernestra is like trying to motivate all of them. And she's like, we have to have courage. We have to be a caravan <laughs> of courage. And it's like, <laughs> cause like, so she was like, this is a test of courage and we have to have a we have to be well we know that justina ireland is a big lover of ewoks so anytime she can get a a shot at putting references to that she will i do hope that like every subsequent book in this first phase has some kind of moment with jedi like i think that's a great idea like having a connection being like through the force where all these jedis are experiencing the same feelings and emotion from the, like that wherever they are in the you know, in the galaxy at that point. Yeah, because so far I get the vibe that this is a time period where the Jedi feel more connected. There's not as much discord or whatever, like not as much arguing between them. Like it's not the point that they're at by the time of like the prequel trilogy and the Clone Wars. Oh, certainly. It's like yeah. more united in this time period. Yeah. So thankfully they're able to defend themselves long enough for help to arrive. And so uh, Douglas Sunvale is there with some help and like they're able to like take down these Nile and like get the kids off the moon. And they are filled in on like what's been going on, you know, with the great disaster and the Nile and stuff like that. And so they're kind of brought up to speed and like the kids have like this, they now have this like shared experience and they talk about how much they feel like they've grown and sort of been tested to their limits, but they feel like they've become better as a result of this. And we're glad to like work together. And I get the feeling that they feel like they can take on, other threats in the future so like i'd be curious to see like what further yeah i'm, I'm very excited like, because there's you know the there's future. gonna be some more news coming out about the high republic coming very soon um we were supposed to have you know different kind of panels coming out of new york comic-con of course um 
that that's going on later in the month. So we're going to we're going to see what's happening there. I know they have a High Republic panel. So I want to know about like phase two. Maybe we can get Justina Ireland writing like a follow up semi sequel to this book that has all the same characters, but like in a different situation and different, you know, maybe another character or two added to this whole thing. Or I want to see like the characters floating into other books. I want to see Vernestra Rowe in somebody else's book or something or in a comic in the Marvel comic series by Kevin Scott. Yeah, because we know phase two is going to be more dark side centric. Yeah. So I wonder like how far they can go with like the kids with that sort of tone. But the power of the High Republic, you have different media, uh, different age groups for different kind of styles of things. And this very much felt like the other books that Justina Ireland had wrote before. But it's neat that this book actually connects like very heavily into the other uh, material. And I'm sure the other material after this will make references back to you know they'll be on the on on the um the ship the starlight beacon and they'll be you know talking about oh yeah we had this thing on agent Kalosh and we had this creature chasing i could just see them like talking about that and it wouldn't be a big deal if you didn't read the story but if you read the story you'd be like yeah i remember that part yeah yeah i mean sometimes recaps and dialogue can get burdensome but for like characters of this age group i can imagine like these preteens and like teen characters like kind of bragging about like what they were able to like overcome and so i feel like it would be a natural fit gloating about their adventures ah i bet you didn't do this so yeah i had this gadget where we were able to get out of a quicksand pit or uh (laughs) yeah that time that we we somehow managed to fight off a, a whole squad of nile can you do that i don't think so yeah, maybe they'll even exaggerate a bit and, like, Avon can act like she used a lightsaber herself and, like, I don't know, like, uh, slice <laughs> yeah. some Nile Embellish or something. A little bit. That's not what yeah. happened, but, you know, like, just funny stuff like that. All right, so I guess with that, we can go into final thoughts. I'm already liking these characters. I think J6 is a unique protocol droid that we haven't quite gotten before, which is very much... Uh, a good bar that has already been set for droids in the High Republic. I think that the exploration, and you mentioned this, through the eyes of the kids and about how they're dealing with the great disaster from such a young age is also very intriguing comparing it to like how, you know, Avar Crest and all those, uh, Loden Great Store, all those characters are dealing with it. Um, I think returning back to Asian class is something that I didn't expect certainly not this soon after the rise of Skywalker, but we know this planet is steeped with the force because it's very verdant. And I like seeing how that's there. I like seeing the Nile. I think the Nile are going to be in pretty much probably every book of, of the high Republic series, at least for this first phase. So to see again, the adeptness at these, these um, antagonists dealing with Jedi Reminds me kind of like the lore of the Mandalorians versus the Jedi about Mandalorians aren't force sensitive. They have to create gadgets just like Niall has to do against the Jedi. It's got that feeling of Star Wars, you know, that that quintessential action on the run. They're just making it up as they go and they're still having a good time. There's still lots of levity in a story, which is very important for an all ages book. You got to have those comedic timing moments. You have to have some of that cuteness about the story. Those, all those boxes were really checked off for the story. 
So that being said, I got to give it an eight out of 10. I think this actually might be my favorite story by Justina Ireland. Nice. Yeah, I think this is also my favorite Justina Ireland story as well. I, I think I gave Spark of the Resistance an 8 out of 10. So I think this one, like, I really enjoyed this one. It was like a fun ride. And like, I loved these new characters, especially in this new era. So I think I'm giving this one an 8.5 out of 10. And it's great to have the kids' perspective on, like, the great disaster like when they finally heard about it they're just like shocked and stunned and it's like oh how are they gonna like deal with stuff going forward so i'm really curious to see where they go from there and this showed promise for like future junior novels in this era if they do go that route yeah so, i think the yeah, high republic you know two books down a lot more to go courage. hopefully and they are hitting it out of the park everything's been great so far and which is what I was hoping for, and they are delivering. Yeah, like, it doesn't feel like a throwaway story. Like, even if it's not, like, a huge event in this instance, like, the characters just make it, and they're interesting to read about. And, and that's like, what's great. Like, every Star Wars story doesn't to need about. to be galaxy upending. Like, it is nice to get those real quick or real close-up like microcosms of the galaxy that you know relate to other things going on but they take their time and they're able to get in the heads of the characters which is exactly yeah like we said happens in this so yeah very excited to see what more we get out of the high republic either in junior novels or otherwise thanks again for joining me on delayed replay where can people find your stuff yeah, thanks again, Stephen. It's been a whole lot of fun talking about all of this, talking about celebration and, and everything going on. You can find me primarily on YouTube. I have a channel. My name on there is Star Raptor. I generally cover all the Star Wars stuff that I can, the books, the comics, um, playing Star Wars Squadrons, which is awesome. So you can check out all that. Um, and I do the occasional movie review as well as other TV series review. I got done watching uh, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, which is a very surprisingly amazing show. I would definitely recommend to everybody out there. But I also have a Twitter account. You can find me at Star Raptor on that as well. Nice. Yeah, go ahead and check those out. As for my plugs, you can find me at Steven Schinder on Instagram and Twitter. Steven Schinder Storytelling on Facebook. You can find my fantasy horror comedy novel, Lemons Like Rain, which is on Amazon. More info on that at stephenschinder.com. It is definitely not a junior novel. It's more mature, so just like keep that in mind. It's like darker and more violent, but yeah. And I've also been writing and editing for an entertainment news site called Culture Slate. They are at Culture Slate pretty much everywhere. And if you would like to email the podcast and let us know what you think of our coverage on just about anything or nothing, uh, you can email delayedreplaypodcast at gmail.com. And who knows, we might read your thoughts on the show. That could be fun. So, yeah, we shall see. All right. Without further delay, have a good day.